This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Hello, and welcome to the Plugged In Podcast, where we talk with founders and CEOs in order to bring you the real stories of failures and triumphs, highs and lows they've experienced on their journey towards success. We will go in-depth with our guests to give you insights into how they have taken an idea from concept to realization, making those first key hires to building the right team, scaling revenues, how they overcame obstacles, and much more as we learn how they achieve success. This is the podcast that you want to subscribe to if you want to learn how to succeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Plugged In. I am Ellie Mandelbaum, an industry veteran who decided to do more than just listen to podcasts, but actually start one. In which I interview people much smarter than me. In this episode, we're speaking with a good friend, Avichai Nissenbaum, general partner and founder of Lulvc. VC. Avichai has over 25 years' experience in the software industry and is a co-founder and general partner at Lul, an early-stage venture fund focused on internet, mobile, media, and Israel. Prior to Lul, Avichai served as the CEO and co-founder of Yera, which is where I met him. Uh, Yeda was acquired by AOL in 2007. After that, uh, Avichai was the VP at AOL um, and AOL Israel Country Manager. Avichai, welcome to the show. I know there's a lot more that I could cover from the boards that you sit on to the investments that you made. We'll probably get into that a little bit later. But if I miss something, feel free to you know, you know, fill in the blanks. Sure. First, thanks for having me. Um... Um, and I'm excited to provide any any uh, value you know uh, to the people listening here. Uh, in terms of my background, so uh, yeah, this was exciting an exciting journey at AOL and Yeda. So we started Yeda together with Yaniv, my partner, Yaniv Golan, my partner for the last 20 years. Um, you know, uh, we started that in 2006. Uh, funny enough, uh, we received an acquisition offer six months into it from <laughs> Yahoo. <laughs> Uh, we didn't take that offer, and a year later, AOL acquired us. Um, and given my experience, so you know, going backward, which I'll share in a minute, they've asked me to oversee Israel for them uh, very uh, soon after the acquisition. Um, you know, at that time, you know, like many other corporate American corporates, AOL has already acquired like six or seven companies here in Israel. Uh, the mythological ICQ, yeah. Quigo, Religions, and, and others. And so I became uh, AOL Israel country manager, was part of the global AOL management team, and then started um, you know, helping as a scout for AOL Ventures, some M&A you know, activities, etc., and continued to CEO the company I sold them, uh, Yeda. But we sold them, and even myself. Um, and before that, uh, I actually co-founded a company called Smart Team together with Avinoam Novogorodsky. That's where I actually met Yaniv as well, we, which became later on VP R&D and CTO of the company. Um, Smart Team became very quickly a leader, a global leader in a space called uh, PLM, Product Lifecycle Management. It's an enterprise software play. Um, and you know, uh, we focused, uh, obviously like many entrepreneurs will say, on, on a great product, but we're great believers in distribution and building a distribution network, and in that company, we built a network of about 200 resellers worldwide. Um, very quickly, like within two years, we built that network. Uh, we had a subsidiary in Boston, servicing so about 100 resellers in North America, a subsidiary in London, Germany, Paris, Italy, and then distribution partnership in China, Japan, and Korea. 
And that company uh, got listed by Gartner uh, three years into it as, uh, you know, in the right quadrant mm -hmm. by Gartner and was listed as part of the top 10 players in this particular industry. I should humbly say we're actually number 10 on the list. Yeah. We, got, <laughs> we got to the top 10 list, you mm -hmm. know, which is great. You know, you're not... And, and, um, and then number one essentially uh, bought us. It's a French company called Dassault System, okay. traded in NASDAQ. So, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to go through this roller coaster a couple of times uh, myself, from the basement all the way to a company of about a couple hundred employees, mm -hmm. and again, uh, and to serve as a corporate, you know, as, as an executive in a corporate uh, play for both companies, Dassault System and AOL. And, uh, you know, great journeys. I was fortunate enough to, to, you know, bring them home, as we say, both of them. And uh, here at Loon, what we're trying to do is, um, you know, use our experience to help companies scale and help them, you know, take the right decisions, shoulder to shoulder, and do the right things in this uh, crazy roller coaster of a startup, okay? Mm -hmm. um, maybe just to mention another little thing about uh, entrepreneurship, you know, also my wife runs a company, um, which is called, uh, so this, this comes from home as well. Mm -hmm. um, company called TIPA, T-I-P-A, TIPA Corp. Uh, they've developed uh, biodegradable, compostable plastic packaging, essentially compostable plastic, okay? Um, and they're dealing with a huge problem, as you well know. Um, the company has about, uh, you know, nine patents on this technology and material, and what they're focused on is uh, flexible packaging. Everything you see around you at home and in the supermarket is essentially flexible packaging. Mm -hmm. And that's what they do. So, so you're definitely a family of entrepreneurs. <laughs> We're trying. We're trying hard. So, you know, I thank you for that. So, you know, how, let, let's start all the way in the back, you know, going back. How did you get into Smart Team, right? So how did you first get started in your career? Did you, you know, again, you probably did the Army after the Army, you know, university. And then what? Then you jumped into something, into the idea of Smart Team, or you ended up somewhere first and then you got to Smart Team, etc. Yeah, I actually started my job career as a pet shop boy. I worked for a pet shop, okay. uh, which was interesting, which I learned a lot from. So from labor work of cleaning aquariums, fish aquariums, and, you know, canary bird cages, etc., all the way to becoming a salesperson for this, you know, this store was also an import, you know, kind of a business where they were selling equipment, food, you know, dog food, cat food, those kind of things, you know, cages, uh, to different stores uh, around the country. So then I became a, a traveling salesperson, mm -hmm. which taught me a lot, you know, on one hand, on, uh, you know, communication with people, getting what you're trying to achieve, um, learning to be compassionate and helping people to treat their dog or cat or whatever. Uh, and then obviously, and that, that was during the university, but my, my real job, you know, uh, obviously I studied software and economics and interviewed for uh, you know a couple of companies just out of school uh, one of them was Amdox and I went through the whole process of you know uh, interviews and tests and whatever and, and I actually got an offer and the other offer I got was from a startup company and my decision was go after a startup where I, where I really felt you know this was about job security on one hand like Amdox a big company very successful etc and a small startup companies where clearly security is not, job security is not guaranteed. 
Um, but, you know, philosophically, I believe that that would be the right place for me where I could make an impact, okay? And, um, you know, this company, um, at one point of time, sent me over to the U.S., so I spent a couple of years in the U.S. Uh, you know, I, I was head of a project that was co-funded uh, co by a, an American company. When the project was successfully finished, the American party asked me to come over and kind of eat my own dog food and become the, <laughs> you know, support slash pre-sales slash whatever, which was an amazing experience, I must say. Uh, you know, learning the American cultures of doing business, you know, living in Boston mm -hmm. and learning that culture and whatever. When I came back, you know, I, I came back to the same company where they had another project or product which is related to Smart Team. They did uh, what they called product data management, which kind of was a, a bit of a smaller vision to product lifecycle management, mm -hmm. which we had. Um, and I kind of, at that time, uh, the product was, was a good product, but was kind of pretty old. Uh, you know, legacy of a lot of code and a lot of projects that the company was doing for a lot of customers. And I had this vision saying, you know, we got to develop a product that is going to be like an off-the-shelf solution rather than a bespoke per project kind of a product. Uh, I still have this business plan that I printed <laughs> and went to the CEO of the company, which at that time, you know, he was right. You know, he was actually in the process of selling his company and it, it was right for that company. Um, and my vision was, together with my partner, Avinoam, that there needs to be an off-the-shelf solution for this industry which we essentially uh, did, and that was Smart Team. So the idea came out of, uh, call it deep industry expertise, having been in the industry, having you know, been challenged by customers and others about what they would actually need and what was working and what was not working. And we envisioned the product that was going to be off the shelf, but at the same time customizable, so that people can you know, really um, change it and adapt it to their needs. And that turned out to be pretty successful. Um, so that, that's how we became entrepreneurs, essentially. You know, we spun off of an existing, you know. Got it. So, so which is, you know, pretty fascinating. And, and, you know, with that, just stay with it for a second. You know, when you built a product and you started to sell, who are you, like, going after? Like, you know, your mentality is, okay, it's, again, I, I, I'm sure you knew the market, right? The market feedback was there. You knew you had something in it in the sense of off-the-shelf but were you nervous about seeing if you could actually do it? Like, you know, again, a lot of entrepreneurs have doubts, right? That's one of the things. And a lot of times you have to tell them, oh, you got to push the doubts aside. You got to just push forward. Even when you don't succeed, you just got to keep going, maintaining your, your, your vision. And it was in the end, the only person that's going to sell is you, right? Especially early on. You know, so how was that challenge? How was the challenge of building up early on? Yeah, so, so listen, I always say definitely we were scared, but if you're more excited than scared, I think you're on the right track. Let's start from that. I mean, it's really scary to start a new thing, you know, it's a lot of uncertainties. Uh, back then, we realized that, and we talked to a lot of engineers. Um, so what was Smart Team? What was PLM about? It's product lifecycle management, right? It's managing all product-related information across processes within the company from design to engineering to manufacturing to whatever and across the supply chain. So you think about any product you know around you like this Mac or a car. Mm -hmm. Every product like this has something called a bill of material like a car would have a car, engine, down to the piston and the bolt and it's a very complex tree structure and it, it's got many configurations 
Just think about cars around you. There's a Toyota Corolla, there's a regular, there's a premium, there's mm -hmm. a station. Every three years it changes. So it's a really complex structure, right? Every part there has many documents describing it. Uh, spec sheets, requirements documents, 3D designs, 2D designs, electrical wiring. Every document like this will have many revisions and versions. Again, many configurations. So mm -hmm. you, you start to understand that this becomes really complex. And also the audit trails and signature trails on approving each version of the document goes across the company and across the supply chain. Because Toyota actually doesn't make the engine, it's another company that makes it for them. And they need to be part of this collaborative process of designing the, the, the engine and changing the engine. Mm -hmm. So we did all of that. But essentially when we started, what we recognized and identified from our understanding of the market was that there's a new phenomenon, and that's 3D parametric modeling, CAD CAM, became really prevalent, became really accessible for people. Because before that, it used to be really expensive to do CAD CAM, yeah. and you used to need to have big Unix workstations that each cost like fifteen to twenty to thirty thousand dollars. And PCs became really, you know, out there, and Windows became out there, mm -hmm. and and Windows became very strong, and so you could run three D parametric modeling on a PC. But that created a problem because that started creating a lot of files and documents, okay? <laughs> and so you'd see at those days that people were handling this by building directory structures to contain all these different configurations and different files, and it was a nightmare. I mean, engineers want to engineer. And that's why I always say follow the motivations and incentives when you build a product. Mm -hmm. And what we realized at the time that engineers want to engineer. They don't want to key in data, they don't want to deal with bureaucracy, they don't want to have to store files in different directories and mess up with this thing and find, try to search what they were working on three days ago. It's a mess. They want to focus on nice design, I don't know if you've seen the recent Tesla, you know, yeah. the Cybertruck. They want to work on that kind of stuff, yeah. okay? And so we decided, even though we had a massive vision on an enterprise solution, we said we got to start with a real problem. And I, I'm a great believer for any stop, I want what I call a thin wedge approach. So you, you stick it in, you solve the problem, and then you expand from there, okay? Mm -hmm. And so that's what we try to do, and we focus our product on the engineering department, providing them with really simple tools that were built into those CAD CAM systems that allows them to save, search, everything, you know, you know within that their environment without their needs to really you know, hustle with the file management, keying data, yeah. forms, you know, all those kind of things. We did all the rest from it. We read all the data from the drawing and put it in the metadata in the document management system for them. We did everything for them. And that's how we started, essentially. So it's, it's about talking to a lot of people, listening to their pains, and trying to understand what would make them feel great about this and what would make the manager a champion to go up to their manager to say, hey, we really solved this problem. Got it. And so, you know, with that, right, let's, you know, we'll take, you know, but anyway, let, let's go to the exit then, right? So, you know, when did you, were you approached by them to exit? Were you looking to exit? Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do next already before you exited? Yeah, so, so our vision was to continue to grow this to as a, you know, as a huge company. Obviously, mm -hmm. we, as, you, as I told you earlier, we, we built a very special network globally. Mm -hmm. I think we started getting on people's radar very quickly. Fortunately or unfortunately, and, and that was when, you know, uh, Dassault System, the company that acquired us, the French company traded in NASDAQ, they were number one in this domain, 
they actually bought a company called SolidWorks, which was the leader in parametric solid modeling for the PC, as I mentioned. Mm. They became the, you know, the leading uh, team. Um, they bought that company about a year before they bought us, and suddenly they found out that you know, all their channel, their resellers, <laughs> are actually using our product too. Yeah. And they realized, so Dassault System had a strategy, you know, initially they were focused on really Fortune 1000 companies, like the yeah. Toyotas of the yeah. world, the Boeings of the world, and we were focused on the SMBs, like we were doing the bottom-up route, while they were obviously a very established company selling for the Fortune 1000. Yeah. And so um, I think you know, a lot of companies that uh, rule or monopolize the market realize at one certain point of time that the grassroots you know, uh, is growing and the SMBs are, you know, there's really tremendous growth in the SMB area. And then they want to capture that too. And that was the approach, approach. they took, right? Got it. Got it. And so, you know, so you finished with that. And how long did you take time off between that and Yetta? When did you exit there? What year? Uh, so uh, we sold Smart Team actually 99. That was yeah, okay. like a minute before the, the bubble, bubble burst. <laughs> he got in there. Uh, we were fortunate, you know, there. Um, stayed in the company until, uh, I think, 2005 or so. Okay. Um, which was, you know, an amazing journey, you know, to continue to grow the company uh, to, you know, tens of thousands of customers worldwide. Um, still to this very date, I'm getting, you know, phone calls from employees of the past telling <laughs> me about, you know, how they evolved yeah. and, you know, resellers that tell me how they're probably still working in companies and customers, <laughs> which, is, which is very uh, exciting. Um, and then, uh, you know, we, we decided to leave and um, Yaniv, uh, you know, essentially said, uh, you know, uh, he's leaving. And I said, you know what, why don't you, he planned a, a nice vacation, I think, to Cuba, which mm-hmm. was, a, you know, I guess a very interesting uh, destination. <laughs> um, and Yaniv is, is, is a photographer too, as a hobbyist, and I think I started getting great pictures from him from Cuba. And then I said to him, you know, when are you back, ping me, and let's, let's, let's see what, you know. What we can do today. Yeah, and, and, and pretty, much, pretty much we jumped on the next thing very quickly. Yeah. Um, and that was Yeda. And so how did Yeda come about? Was, again, you know, going into, what was it? It was much more of a, uh, um, a semantic search engine, right? And so, and it was, again, in the Q&A space, it analyzed question query. But so how did you get from what you were doing to there? Right. Did you see? Did you see something in the marketplace that bothered you? And yeah. that you know, a very, very interesting question. So, so essentially, what we learned at Smart Team, like imagine Smart Team as a knowledge sharing platform, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it manages all the document, all the knowledge around the product, and you know everything that comes with that. We realized that even though corporates have a lot of uh, system to manage data and keep historical data. A lot of data is being shared by people around the coffee machine, right? Mm-hmm. It's called the, in the industry tacit knowledge, mm-hmm. or actually to wash about pay, like what's yeah. up here yeah. and not written, right? Yeah. And so, and so we had this thing. We said, okay, so you know what happens if you really want to tap into people's minds and ask them a real question of their personal experience? What do you do this today, like? Yes, you go to Google and you put your keywords in there. By the way, over the years, people put more and more real questions into Google. We learned that, by the way, after selling the company to AOL. We saw, we had the, the search feed. We saw how many people actually asked real questions in Google. But Google made you translate your questions to keywords. 
right? And so we said, where else would you go to really ask somebody with a personal experience on a topic that you want to kind of exchange with them? Mm -hmm. And so there were forums out there, but forums were a mess. You know, it was literally a mess, mm -hmm. not searchable, not really personal. And then what happened was Web 2.0. So the blogosphere started to explore, explode essentially. Mm -hmm. People were actually sharing, you know, their experiences. And so we decided to build a network or a semantic search, as you call it, that is going to be, you know, was going to be able to actually tap into these people that want to express themselves, share themselves, and, you know, approach them with relevant questions from other people around the globe about a topic they're passionate about. So this was, you know, our belief was that the DNA of content are questions and answers, okay? Which we still believe in, obviously. So... Again, I gave the Google example. When you go to Google, you search for content that is essentially, you know, potentially going to answer your question, right? When you read an article on any, you know, magazine, newspaper, whatever, an article is actually an answer to a question or a thesis. That's what an article is, essentially. So that's why we believe that the DNA of content are Q&As. And so the way we built this is we started powering content publishers with Q&A engines so, for instance, our first um, partner was actually in the, in the health space. This was a women's health mm -hmm. uh, online, Sorry. you know, uh, publication. And, you know, when women go through, and this was about uh, pregnancy, um, you know, fertility issues, mm -hmm. those kind of things. And obviously, when you're a woman and you have a fertility issue and you read an article about fertility issue, you've got a gazillion more questions in your mind, right? Yeah. It's very emotional, it's a very, you know. And so what we did, we offered them to actually ask questions and get answers from real people that are also reading that article. Potentially some of them actually went through the experience and could actually share, mm. okay? And so also on the side of the article, we put little widgets that would be titled as uh, see additional relevant questions from real people around this same topic. So essentially what we did is we created ad hoc communities mm -hmm. of interested parties on an article. And that's how we started. Got okay. It. So, you know, when you when you built it and again you, you built it very quickly and you know again like you said, you know, after six months it was already an offer on the table. You didn't raise a lot of money. Um, but, you know, and did you see traction quickly after that launch with the publisher? I mean, were, were publishers hungry for this type of adoption and this type of content? Yes and no. I mean, like every startup, it's a roller coaster, obviously. Um, initially, obviously, there was a lot of hype on the blogosphere. There was a lot of hype on us. There were days when, then, when, when you would launch on TechCrunch, you, you'd get the TechCrunch effect, as we called it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think those days are kind of over because, you know, TechCrunch is still the prominent, obviously, uh, outlet out there. But at the same time, there's much more and many more other outlets. Mm -hmm. and, and so um, the noise is bigger. But, but, you know, those days when Web2.0 just started to kind of explode, we got really amazing, you know, coverage, which was great. Uh, amazing spike, you know, servers were humming and almost melting down. And then... The cliff. The cliff. And then it all disappears. And you got to build from there, okay? But, you know, that's, that's startup life, you know? And so, you know, we, we worked really hard on 
getting more partners, getting our SEO better. And over time, uh, we started getting more and more partners approaching us, and we had our own team that was approaching partners. And um, was there anything that you that that happened that you think going back I should have done differently, or um, you know, it was something that you know, I realized it's something it made a mistake, and I won't do it again. Like, you know, was was there anything that happened during that time? Yeah, it's a very good question. There are many mistakes, by the way. Many, uh, right. but, one uh, that really stands out, though. No, so, so one that really stands out, uh, I'd say that both of us coming from, let's call it deep tech or, you know, experience, um, I would say we spent too much on the algorithmic side of stuff rather than the user experience side of stuff. In other words, we actually delayed our release because of, you know, uh, deepening our algorithmic size side of the, the business, mm-hmm. you know, too long, I would say. And, and my message to founders as, as a, you know, as a conclusion for that is always, you know, get out there, this, you know, get friction with your customers or consumers the fastest you can, and consumer experience many times matters gazillion times more than your algorithms. Okay, now it's, I know it's a very overgeneralized statement potentially because some businesses the algorithm is the business, right? But, I mean, this was obviously a consumer experience, search kind of an experience. And so I think we did good on the experience, but we could have done much better if we hadn't uh, spent too much time on the algorithm side. And obviously, we started building from there. And, and, and obviously, once the product was out, we learned a lot about the experience and how experience should be simplified, mm-hmm. should be more streamlined, should be more adaptable, and those kind of things. So that's, that's a, in my view, was one of the key learning, you know, of, and, and by the way, also don't stay in the lab, you know, uh, too long. Sure. That, that's, that's the other thing. I mean, you should, especially in, in consumer products, you should actually be ashamed of your product when you're launching it, in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe it sounds no, like no, disruptive. I, I, I hear your point. But, but you know, it's going to always get better. Exactly. It's, it's more important for you to start getting friction and starting getting data and consumer data data matters. I mean, it doesn't matter what you think about the button. It doesn't matter what you think about the experience. You measure and you get it out there and data gives you the right answers to what's the right way to go. And so sitting in a lab, as I call it, and, you know, imagining or fantasizing certain experiences and, you know, tweaking them or whatever is meaningless unless you're out there and getting the data. And so, so those are the two lessons, you know. Got Stay it. out of the lab, you know, get out of the lab as soon as possible, and at least for a consumer, you asked me about that company, so yeah. at least for that, um, yeah, experience matters more than, than deep algorithm. How is building the company? How many people did you, did you have at the end when you, when you exited? So smart team, when we exited, was, uh, I think, anywhere between 30 to 50, like that kind of size. Can't remember exactly. Uh, yeah, it was small. small. We kept it small. We were actually based in the basement. We brought the CEO of AOL, Team Arkson, to, to our basement <laughs> in a village near Hoda uh, Sharon. I think we were 16 at that time. So small. Small. So you were able to, so that, they did a lot of, you did a lot over there. And, you know, were you, did you feel that you were creating a company culture or it was just like, no, no I don't even have time for that. Just like, you know, plow ahead, let's get to market size and, 
You know, did you like? Did you have an idea of? Did you want to give back to your employees? What, what were you like? Again, was as a founder, as a CEO, you know, you you know, you're building the company. You always have to keep in mind, like, what 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 what, what am I what am I giving my employees? Yeah. Right? It's, oh, granted, I'm giving them money, salary, etc. But is there anything else I'm giving them? You know, did you take that into account when you were building the companies as well? Yeah, you're hitting a very important point. I'm, I'm a great believer on companies' DNAs and building the right DNA. Um, uh, take take smart team. I think they from that company came anywhere from I don't know five to eight different startups that I can think of really quickly. I'm saying five to eight because I, I can identify five easily, and I know there were a couple of others. Um, and so, and was a very strong team and a very bonded team. Okay, and same with Yeda. So, so I, I think building your your company's DNA. Account, sizes are different, by the way. Smart team got to you know to run two hundred people when I mm-hmm. when I left in Israel, which is relatively big company for Israeli yeah. software. Especially uh, back, then, especially back then. Especially back then. Um, and 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 obviously we had more people around the world, but but it was a pretty big operation. Um, DNA really matters, like how people take responsibility, how people communicate uh, transparently, what are the key guidelines, you know, for you as a company, as a human being, you know, when you're part of a team, there's no I in a team, obviously, you know, how how do you manage this? These are really important questions, and I urge any of our CEOs, each and any of our CEOs, to to focus on those aspects. It's It's a more lengthy discussion, obviously, but... So yeah, no, which is which is excellent because this goes leads me into Lulu, right? So you know, Lulu is a little bit more hands on than just a generic. Well, I would say generic, but uh, of a seed stage VC, mm-hmm. right? So these are a lot of things that you know founders don't really think about, especially only founders that probably went through the exit process and grew their company up to certain size. Do they really think about okay, you know, how do I even put you know the responsibility on each person? How do I create the transparency? How do I you know, is it a weekly meeting where I get everybody involved? Is it me just going to different, you know, uh, teams each each week and, and just sitting with them? You know, how do you create that 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 you know um, atmosphere in a sense? Mm-hmm. And do you encourage that in in the companies here? And when you see don't see that in the company that you're invested in, do you say, okay, you know what? Here's some advice. I think you really need to focus on this a little bit more because it'll help overall your, your overall team succeed. Yeah. So, you know, here in Lul, obviously, we invest in, in amazing founders that seek to solve big problems. Um, and the reason I'm saying it is it's all about the founding team to lead this. I mean, we, we obviously can give them a lot of guidance on how to do this, but it's up to them to, you know, to take it forward. Okay? We work shoulder to shoulder with our CEOs. And we try to give them you know, the best advice we can. Mm-hmm. But I want to re-emphasize that we seek, initially, we seek for those teams that have the vision, have the right philosophy, and, and seek to build the right DNA and culture for the companies. And, you know, I, I must say that it doesn't always succeed, and we try to help, okay? But, but I mean, I'm, I'm a great believer in full transparency, in good and bad. I mean, uh, you know, in both of the companies, you know, that, that I've built, and, and any company that I'm involved with, it's always about share with everybody as much as you can on the situation. You know, we've all been through, uh, in both companies, we've been in a situation where we weren't sure we are going to be able to fund uh, next quarter salaries, okay? 
Um, and so I remember at Smart Team at one point in time, we went to the employees and said, you know, the management is taking a 25% cut on their salaries. We don't expect anybody to do this, but we would value if you do this. Obviously, we'll you know, get you back on par when everything goes back, and, and which we did, by the way. And some people decided to leave, but most of them sticked around and, you know, again, shoulder to shoulder, as we say in, in the army, uh, went under the stretcher, right, mm-hmm. to, to carry the stretcher. And so, I mean, companies go through highs and lows, clearly. All companies go through highs and lows, okay? Mm-hmm. And so if you have the right culture and the right DNA and you're hiring the right people, uh, you are more resilient to the tide. No, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. Correct on that. I mean... And, and by the way, on that, I mean, sometimes, that's something that people don't realize. I mean, sometimes people think, well, I'm going to have an all A-star team. Uh, you know, sometimes an all A-star team doesn't, you know, work, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, an A-star person that can't collaborate and communicate is actually a hazard, you know, for your company. And by the way, in those situations, whether it's an amazing person or whether it's a bozo, uh, my advice is to take it out of the system as soon as possible because it's actually hurting your progress. Okay. And so, you know, let's, you know, you, you left, you know, you exit with AOL and you stay with AOL a little bit longer, right? And then... You know, why, why did you come up with a little? Were you already investing? Were you in it together investing? Were you sep- investing separately? You decided, you know, we had such a good time together from smart team to Lul. We want to continue it. You know, why did you, and again, this is before, again, you've been around for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot more have come recently, which is great for Israel. But you were really, you know, early on, I think, was it, oh, what, when you saw, oh, seven? So we okay. sold. We sold. Yeah, we started yet uh, two or six. We sold it to a seven. We stayed until two eleven. Okay, so we started, okay. Yeah, and, and end of twelve we launched Lulu, um, and even myself. So it's actually your question is why did we did we decide to do that? Well, well, yeah, I mean, why did you feel instead of angel investing, you want to formalize a little bit more and make it more? Right. You know, I would say of a, you know, institution or official capacity. Right. So at AOL, while starting to scout for AOL Ventures and working with them closely, we started getting a lot of deal flow. Uh, some of it, actually most of it, was not interesting for AOL. Um, and so with permission from our bosses, we decided to put some money here and there, or sometimes get involved with, with some companies. Some failed, some succeeded. Mm-hmm. You know, One was sold to Facebook, another one to eBay. And, and then, you know, for us, you know, it was a big question, like, what do we do next? Do we do another company? I mean, this was, you know, exciting journeys, you know, making, breaking, getting there, getting, getting it, you know, to the right place. Or, you know, we try to scale our experience in a way and, you know, try to help other founders go through the journey. And that's what we decided to do. Okay, we saw that the advice we were able to give Founders at critical junctions of you know strategic junctions, given our experience, given the fact that we were company builders on one hand, but we also saw it from the other side. You know, working with AOL M&A, you know, you see how an acquiring American corporation thinks and operates. What's in the short list? What's being, you know, call it uh, put on a waiting list? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of consideration. Again, it's a long discussion, but. 
you see how these companies think from within when they acquire a company. And I think this is, this is priceless in, in a way. It was a priceless experience for me. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we thought that, um, you know, heck, why don't we try to leverage that knowledge and experience, having done it a couple of times ourselves, and, and help other funders. And that's how we decided to build Lul. Uh, and no, it doesn't mean laughing outrageously out loud. Uh, we write Lul uh, lowercase. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks like bin- bi- binary. You know, it's a palindrome. Yeah. You can read it both directions. It's about the digital transformation okay. in in any domain. Okay, so we're general generalists, as we call it. We we tend to invest in. Uh, you tend to say that founders will lead us to the future. They'll tell us uh, where the future is. If you look at our companies, they're really uh, building disruptive technologies, disrupting verticals. Companies like uh, MediSafe, the digital health company, big data analytics, medication management and mm-hmm. adherence and patient journey management, uh, based in Boston and, and Haifa. Um, companies like uh, Logix, you know, AI for legal, legal tech AI, mm-hmm. so reviewing legal agreements at scale. And the list goes on, obviously. Yeah. Uh, companies like Broadband 17, deep you know, AI algorithmics, machine learning, com- computer vision. Companies like No Traffic. Yeah. Uh, you know, the list is long, obviously. I'm just... What was, what, was, what was one that stuck out with you? Um, you know, for better or for worse, that, that really stuck out in your mind of like either, a, a, you know, that was just a really good investment or really, I, it was just a bomb. And I, I'm sure you had bomb because it's a numbers game. Yeah. Right? You generally try and only have wins, but the wins vary, right? It could be a home run, it could be a triple, double, whatever it is, using the baseball analogy. Um, you know, you know, is, is there anyone that's stuck in your mind? Yeah, you know, I, I don't want to mention that's the only specific, to, specific yeah. names, uh, but just, just to tell you, what does it boil, boil down to? I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about the team. It's all about the team. It's not about technology. It's not about, you know, it's about tenacity of the team. It's about the ability of the team to work together. And we've seen things break apart too, okay? Unfortunately, that happens. Uh, it's about conviction. Uh, and, and, you know, it's about real execution. It's about their ability to hire the right people. You know, it's a, their ability to put the right execution in place, uh, to execute upon their vision. Mm-hmm. And again, we've seen it all. You know, we have successes, we have failures. Um, luckily, we were able to take some of the some of them back home as well. But you know, again, it boils down to to people, okay. and, and that's why our selection criteria is very focused on that aspect. Okay. Got it. How was it raising the fund? You know, when you started, was it hard? Was it just you and you didn't put the money in there? And, you know, didn't want to deal with anybody else. You know, you know how how was it to start? Um, no, so first we we have uh, we were fortunate again to have a lot of support from people we knew over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, our fund has three types of LPs. We have institutional money. We have corporate money, global corporates that want to tap into Israel. We have, you know, many serial entrepreneurs. Again, we're not publishing their names, but, you know, these, those are people that you, you probably know well uh, that put money in, in, in our funds. And so it wasn't easy. As I call it a first-time entrepreneur is not easy, and first-time fund 
is managing pe other people's money. Obviously, we put money as well, but you know, we're a small part of the whole pie. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we were fortunate to get support from you know, some people that actually made money with us in our companies, and they were the early supporters, let's mm -hmm. call it, uh, to help us bootstrap Lul. And we see Lul as a, as a startup. You know, it's, it's a different and a unique vehicle. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we built it in a very unique approach. As you well know, we're very founder-friendly and, and we try to you know, help you know, not just our portfolio companies, but we have you know, something we call the scale-up uh, series of events that we do here on a regular basis where we bring uh, top serial entrepreneurs and mm -hmm. you know, we have a rooftop up here that we use for those events and, mm -hmm. and meetups. And so our philosophy is you know, be out there, be helpful, um, you know, shoulder to shoulder with our founders as long as we can, okay? Mm -hmm. And, and we, we also have a methodology that we built over time based on our experience and our experience in our investments, which is really focused on, on helping preferred companies we invest in, which, you know, we do mostly seed, if not all. And, and, and the focus is, you know, how do you get your next round? What are the assets that you need to build to get there? And we're very focused on that. Okay. And we actually have a you know team member on our team, Tony, uh, that focuses on, oh, on that, that, that's right. that aspect. Plus, you know, we have people like Max that you probably have seen his mm -hmm. rap uh, and the book that we just published on how to raise a seed, which was a team effort with Ido and Max and the rest of the team. Um, and we, which you know, uh, all of our teams are very well connected to the investment community, not just here, but across the ocean, where we were able to vet companies, you know, get data upfront, introduce companies very early on to our partners, mm -hmm. you know, on the other side of the ocean in Silicon Valley, in uh, New York, in Boston, and other places, and that's uh, what we try to do here. I hear that. So we have a few more questions to, you know, as you wind down. Did you have a mentor um, or someone that you turned to for advice as you went through your journey? Well, I wish I had. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had. Uh, I mean, I know you're mentoring a lot of people now, but you know, yeah, but yeah. as you went along, you know, did you have someone that you 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 reached out to that you spoke to? Do you, I mean, you again, was again your wife? Even like she's. I mean, you know, again, a lot of people you know keep it separate, but your wife is an entrepreneur. Just. Do you go to her and say sometimes I just you know I don't even know what to do I'm stuck in this situation you know whatever it may be. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the answer is yes. Uh, I'm I'm actually on the board of her company too, and so <laughs> so we try to separate uh, private life and business obviously. So actually we we have time that we discuss those things separately. It's not a you know uh, yeah. a bedtime discussion. <laughs> uh, obviously we you know keep computer out of the out of the bedroom. Uh, but but um, talking about uh, myself, uh, yeah, I, I had a few people that you know I, I took advice or, or you know so as advice or you know Etienne um, uh, Avi Schechter, which is an angel investor at that time, you know was also involved with AOL prior to and ICQ actually was one of the um, was helping out a little bit in the beginning and it was really really helpful. Uh, Rami Lipman, which is an angel investor, was was helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, you know, as I said, I mean, the, the way, going back to what we try to do here at, at Lul, is we try to be a sounding board for founders. I mean, each and every of our CEOs, when we start working with them, we have a bi-weekly, you know, setup meeting, which over time, obviously, becomes a monthly and maybe disappears over time when they grow and scale and they don't need our, you know, call it bi-weekly advice. 
some of them still have the slot, some of them use, use it, some of them just, you know, ping me like an hour before, say, hey, this week I'm fine, I'm, I'm okay, or I just want to talk about one thing, let's do this on the phone, or whatever it is. But I think this is the philosophy that we're trying to employ because we didn't have that, okay? And I think it's really, 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 really needed. I mean, being a CEO is a very, um, how would I call it? Um, essentially, you're alone. Mm -hmm. You're calling the shot. You might have a co-founder, you might have two, but you're the CEO. You're very lonely. Uh, you have to take a lot of decision and, and, and sometimes high speed. And that's the adventure of a startup, right? To take decisions fast, mm -hmm. fail fast, as we call it. Um, and um, it's, a, it's a really tough roller coaster. So who do you go to when you need a, a mirror or a sounding board or just an advice or just look at the situation, tell me what have you have done? That, those type of questions. I mean, especially when, when you have people around you that have been there and, and have experienced those situations. So um, I wish I had one that was on a constant basis, <laughs> like we try to, to provide yeah. to our CEOs, humbly I say, yeah. you know, obviously. Uh, um, but again, I, I think it's really important and I would advise any CEO to find that mentor. Um, but also be careful, you know, uh, just try to find the right person. There's a lot of people around, you know, giving advice. Yeah. It's not about giving advice, you know, hearing one advice from another, one person. Uh, some, some CEOs make the mistake of having too many advisors and it's like, it's like a ping pong. Who, who do you choose? Yeah, it's like a ping pong, you know, one, one says one thing, the other thing, the reverse. And, you know, and so try to stick to somebody you trust, which has the right experience and, and go along. Very good. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck with everything. Thank you. Love this episode of the Plugged In Podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you for listening to C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.